Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. So welcome to our very first episode, and this is going to now be a podcast without video. Um, This will be available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. So um, this is really exciting. We have our very first episode of this new venue. Um, And for our very first episode, we have Carmine Pascuzzo. Um, Carmine is of counsel with GST LLP, focusing his practice on international investment disputes, commercial arbitration, and cross-border litigation. Prior to joining GST, Mr. Pacuso was a partner at a leading firm in Venezuela, where he focuses practice in public law, international arbitration, and commercial law. He's been working with the ICC, with UNCTRAL, and ICSID arbitrations. Um, and most recently, he's been involved in UNCTRAL Working Group 3 in talking about investor state arbitration. So first of all, thank you, Carmine, for being the very first guest. Thank you, Amy. Nice. Uh, It's nice to be the first one in in the post in the podcast. And I'm really, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for for having me. Well, this will be fun. So a lot to learn here. Um, First of all, would you mind giving a little bit of background about this group of UNCTRAL Working Group 3 and what their goal, what they've been trying to accomplish? Absolutely. So uh, just by way of, of background, uh, UNCTRAL is the, the United Nations Commission on International Trade Law. And it usually has been the engine behind the biggest harmonization law work around the world. The most prominent of them all, the UNCTRAL model law on arbitration and the UNCTRAL model law on mediation and recently the Singapore Convention of, on Mediation. So it's, it's a really important body uh, within the international law community and the international dispute settlement community. Prior to being entrusted with this uh, issue, the working group three worked on a topic very interesting to calling, which was the online dispute resolution. And they created a set of rules that recommend for a group of states and has been taken it took off from there in 2016. After that, they were uh, mandated with exploring possible reforms to the investor state dispute settlement system. And the reason why UNCTRAL was tasked with this by the General Assembly was that uh, they had a very successful prior uh, work with transparency rules and the so-called Mauritius Convention on Transparency on International Investment Arbitration. So what happened was a state perceived that there were issues to be resolved in the current state of investment arbitration. They perceived it as a more imbalanced system that provided more safeguards for the investor instead of providing for a good uh, uh, opportunity for states to have uh, and reaffirm its, uh, its sovereign sovereignty and their regulated uh, uh, competence. And that's why they, they chose to look for alternative to rebalance the investor state arbitration um, system. And the, the reason why I focus on states is it's because the, 
the real stakeholders in Oncitrol are the states, members of right. the commission, which are, this is something that people often overlooks, but the only voting uh, voices in Oncitrol are the member states, which are also selected by the General Assembly of the United Nations, and they have six years um, mandate. Right. So now, on 2019, we had a, a new group of, of member states chosen, and we have an, a, another set of overlapping states with mandates ending next year in 2022. But that doesn't mean that the states are the only stakeholders in, in Uncetral. There's also a really rich and, and active uh, stakeholders uh, in the Uncetral working process, in the, especially in working group three, which is basically composed by two sets of, of players. We have the international organizations. Now we have over 66 international organizations taking part of, of working group three uh, sessions. And the most prominent of them all has been the EU, which uh, has been a, a really key player in this entire ref ISDS reform uh, proposal and discussion. And we also have NGOs, universities, and research centers that have been grouped in what has now been called the academic forum. And they also have been a really important part of, of the entire discussions and the proposals of, of, of solutions for the perceived uh, problems in, in investor states dispute settlements. So just to put in a, on a background, working group, Number three is a group within Oncitrol, which is a UN uh, commission that right. is composed by states and by other key players that it's looking to solve the perceived uh, problems in investor state uh, investment arbitration or dispute settlement. Right, right. Well, and, and where are they now in the process currently? Because I know I, had, I already talked with some others um, in our prior iteration of the arbitration conversation regarding that process. Um, and I know there have been different sort of sticking points on the procedure and different disagreements, but kind of where are we right now and, and where are things now? Um, have there been any final rules or any procedures or anything that's actually been adopted? Well, we're now getting to the heat, to the, to the heart of the discussion okay. because just to do in previous occasions, like in the series before a Netflix episode. Uh, so previously, we we the, the the working group was the mandate was so broad that they oh, first right. identified which were the perceived uh, problems and the needed solution. That was around 2017 to 2019. Then from 2019 on there came the proposals of solutions. And that's what you discussed in the previous episode with dealing with these topics. They, they talk about strengthening ADR, proposed mediation and negotiation for ISDS, the problem with counterclaims, all of this. But now we're discussing how to actually implement the solutions for these for these problems. So oh, interesting. first, okay. uh, the first set of, of, of rules that have been drafted was a cut of conduct for adjudicators. Okay. And 
there's this is there's a really interesting uh, symbiosis between the working group number three and exit because the code of, of conduct was worked by both institutions and the draft was already released and has a really distinctive uh, provision regarding double hatting. So the way forward, it seems from the, the most uh, recent draft is to have only full-time arbitrators and get rid of those double hatting, which for those who are not in the in the industry, double hatting uh, refers to the practice of acting simultaneously either as arbitrator, uh, party uh, representative, or legal expert. That has been discussed as, as, a, as a problem and, and conflict of interest uh, uh, catalyst. And that's why it seems that we're moving forward to uh, to a different uh, panoramic in the sense of we're only looking for full-time arbitrators, full-time party representatives, and full-time experts. I, I think this is a, a good way forward. Actually, we're, we're now in, there's a really relevant case now uh, concerning the relationships with, between an arbitrator and the expert of one of the parties because it, it had a relationship as party representative of another party in another arbitration. So these frictions could be get rid of if we only commit to uh, doing one of the, of the, of the, of the, to wear only one of the hats <laughs> to put right, it in a, right. in, a, oh, in a way. Yeah, no, and that does make sense because it would be natural that you would end up with sort of conflicts of interest. Um, and, you well, said and, it, and it's also, and sorry to interrupt, just to, to close the, the idea, it, it, this is a trend that it's not only for investor state dispute settlement, but it's also generally an international law because the ICJ just recently released uh, rules banning what has been called moonlighting, which is that the ICJ judges can uh, act as arbitrators in other cases in investor state dispute settlement. So what we're going for is just having a more compartmentalized space where adjudicators are protected from potential conflict of interest. Very interesting. I'm sure that's going to impact a lot of people that were moonlighters, I would, I would assume, <laughs> in that space. Well, and you had mentioned that there were some other sort of main areas for implementation um, outside of that. So what, what other um, sort of specifics can you share with us about implementations? No, but the other uh, set of rules that have been drafted are the proposed rules for an, a permanent appeal mechanism for investment oh, yeah. arbitration. Okay, so right. One of the main concerns, and I would say that it's actually the reason behind the mandate for working group number three was the uh, very uh, evident fragmentation that we experience in, the, in investment arbitration cases. We would encounter cases with the same respondent state with the same uh, challenged measures and with different investment arbitration tribunals 
reaching different results and contradicting results. So the first, um, so, and we would have the same tribunals had reaching different decisions within different states with similar uh, BITs or uh, uh, bilateral investment treaties or multilateral investment treaties. So this, the, 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 the search for consistency in international arbitration has been uh, oriented towards creating an appeal, a permanent appeal body to review in a more substantial way uh, investment arbitration awards. The way, the, the reason why I, I emphasize in more substantial way is because investment arbitration awards are subject to a very limited review, either by those that are ad hoc arbitration and are subject by to set aside proceedings under the New York Convention and the relevant arbitration law of the seat of arbitration, that is not a, that it's, it's not an appeal. So it's not substantial review. It's a more formal review of the, of the, of the requirements of the award. And that review is even more stricter if you go to exit because the annulment proceeding and the, the percentage of annulled awards in, in exit proceedings is really, really low. So I think it's, it, it's a way for states to look for a more robust and substantial uh, recourse in investment arbitration. So these first set of rules have been uh, published just now in December, and they are subject to comments by the member states of the, of the commission uh, by mid-January, if I'm not mistaken. So that's, that's the second front where we are actually moving because we have a, a new set of, of rules that's that's, that are under discussion and we're proposing uh, solutions to, to, to implement them and, and adopt them. The code of conduct is more likely to take off very quickly because it's under the auspices of exit. It's probably the, bench, the benchmark in the investment arbitration uh, arena. And I, I don't see a world where that code of conduct doesn't uh, reach uh, uh, as we say, opinion duties very, very quickly. The applet mechanism uh, has an, an inherent problem, which is the mechanics to implement. Because we have a, a, a plethora of investment arbitration treaties. Mm -hmm. There are bilateral investment treaties. We have multilateral investment treaties. We also have national investment protection laws. Right. We have several sets of rules providing for arbitration that do not have a recognition oh, for yeah. an appellate body. Yeah. And this is the third subject that I would, that I wanted to discuss with you guys today. And it's how can we reach for a consistent way to implement the appellate mechanism? Right. The working group was, was exploring ways to do this. And they, they had uh, several discussions and, the most interesting proposal as of now has been, I think, was Colombia, the Colombian delegation that proposed it, and was to copy the TRIPS uh, system for double tax evasion from the OECD and have a fully flagged international multilateral uh, treaty that creates the basis for this appeal mechanism. 
So you will have an obligation to set and implement the rules for appeals mechanism in each and every international treaty that you have or national law that you have providing for international investment arbitration. The mechanics are really severe. I don't. I, I see a lot of transactional costs for this. Mm-hmm. It seems that it's going to be traumatic, but I don't know if there's any other feasible solution for this because there's no control on, on the appeals mechanism. It, yeah, I mean, it seems like that would only have any sort of legal impact on future agreements. I mean, any treaty that's already been put together that doesn't include this, you can't, I mean, you can't have retroactive application. How do you retroactively apply this to prior created treaties? Exactly. And that's where I think it's going to be, I mean, transactional costs in the sense of effort for the states to comply with this international law obligation, because the only way to ensure compliance with the treaty, in the event that the treaty comes to fruition, uh, that would mean that you have to sign either an addendum or a protocol for each and every international treaty you have signed or enter into and ratified so it's you have to exhaust all your process for for entering into treaties in order to modify those mm-hmm. previously acquired and and i'm not sure if it's going to be effective because you also have you know that the investment arbitration consent is the fruit of a unilateral promise to arbitrate so if you have case, if you have investors that previously accepted the offer as it was before entering into exactly. the appeal mechanism, you also will have coexistent consents to arbitration and you will have arbitrations without appeal mechanisms and arbitrations with appeal mechanisms. So I think I, I'm, I'm not questioning the state's uh, will to enter into this uh, appeal yeah. mechanism. And I actually believe that it's going to be in some way beneficial to solve the fragmentation problem in investment arbitration. But I'm, I think it's going to be a really bloody and work-heavy process to, to yeah. reframe all these years of BITs exactly. and investment right. treaties in order to make it work. (laughs) Well, and quite frankly, I mean, one of the biggest benefits of arbitration we talk about all so often is finality and speed. And now when you add an appeal mechanism, that sort of adds time and money, of course. Um, So there is that as well. Um, And then what if it turns out to be sort of pro forma, um, which I've heard that complaint before as well. Well, what's the point? You're just gonna add extra cost for this additional layer of appeal, but nine times out of 10, it's gonna be a rubber stamp, right? Is that what these appellate arbitrators are just gonna always, you know, it's kind of like, and especially if they're arbitrators who also serve as first instance arbitrators, you know, they're gonna have sort of this, um, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, I'm never gonna overturn yours because I don't want mine overturned. And there's going to be that as well, which is, you know, that's another issue. Which, yeah, and that's that's a great point you're making, Amy, because it takes us back to the code of conduct for arbitration. Who's going to take those seats? Mm-hmm. If we want some someone that it's on a vacuum, 
that has never practiced and has never been exposed to possible conflict of interest, I'm not sure that person, either she or he, exists because you learn the ropes either practicing or being the secretary for tribunals. And, and that's something that we, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting to see who gets into that appeal mechanism, who select them, are they, uh, will they be joined by ad hoc arbitrators or it's going to be a fully fledged like ICJ, uh, UN General Assembly elected uh, body. It's, it, it's interesting times because we're seeing the future be made. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also really, uh, it's going to be really interesting because we have conflicting views. We have the states, we have who, who feel that they have the need to protect their rights and, 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 and rebalance investor, investor state arbitration, which I, I can agree to, and I understand that position. But you also have a group of academics and stakeholders that say, listen, the reason why this has been this way is because it's the lesser evil. It, exactly. The other options were really difficult to achieve. Exactly. Yeah. But I think we can reach like a, an, an opt-in, a mechanism which certain investors which certain conditions can take it it's i just the 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 options are really are really limitless until unless the problem with Uncentral, amy is that as as you know and and colin knows because he he worked in the in in the odr is it's consensual based so you need to have them all in favor of the yep. proposed solution, well, even when otherwise you think, it won't pass. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We've lived through that. I, Colin and I both, um, and we know kind of the drill, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, and, and and as you said, I guess at the end of the day, if at least you can get the code of conduct, that might be the real goal, and that might be the real win, right? And even baby steps are really at least something. And it's good to at least get some of these things out in the open. I do think sometimes the debate at least um, plants a seed for new ideas and at least gets people talking about issues. And, and it is true that investor state, that's, there's been a lot of concern about um, unfairness. And um, so I do think it's important to at least get the ball rolling and sort of open up that dialogue. So it's, it's good work that you're doing. Um, and whatever happened is the other piece that I've talked with others about is this mediation piece. So do you know where things are on the mediation piece? Because that was sort of another um, important issue, well, I know. One of the most active countries in this was Brazil, because they mm -hmm. have a really mediation and conflict prevention uh, way to, to see things. They mm -hmm. actually have really few investor state um, uh, treaties and they have an, a special dispute prevention system uh, put in place. What was prepared was a working paper and mm -hmm. there's going to be a, a further discussion, if I'm not mistaken, into the implementation of rules and proposal of rules for uh, having a more prominent uh, mediation and conflict prevention in investor state dispute settlement. So as of now, the way forward for the working group is the means of implementation of the draft, draft code of conduct, the advisory center, which is also a very interesting uh, topic, mm 
there has been discussion to have an advisory center for developing countries that do not, do not have enough resources to have adequate representation in investor state dispute settlement. I think this is something very, very important, especially in order to rebalance the playing field in, in, in terms of developing states vis-a-vis -vis, uh, very uh, powerful and economically uh, wealthy uh, investors. Um, and the other one is the select, the, what we just talked about, the selection and designation of members of tribunals and members of the appellate body. So I will expect to have a substantive discussion about mediation around the end of 2022, beginning mm. of 2023. <laughs> It always takes so long. That's the funny part. You know, well, they meet yeah. only twice a year. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah, well, and of course, with COVID, I'm sure the meetings, well, they've been online, I assume, right, on Zoom? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens and kind of next steps in terms of what, what the future holds. Um, certainly interesting stuff. And thank you for getting us all up to speed. I feel like I learned a lot in this conversation. So, Carmine, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Amy. And anytime you want to discuss investment arbitration, count on me. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.